Good morning, everyone. Any mothers had uh, breakfast in bed? Yes? No? Wonderful. Caroline said, why would I want breakfast in bed? You know, if your bed is soft and all that, you might be spending more time cleaning up. Anyway, they say, if you want breakfast in bed, then sleep in the kitchen. How good is that? Well, today is Mother's Day. They say, Mom is a title just above Queen. Well, mothers are like buttons. They hold things together. Do you realize mothers is the capacity of doing 100 things at one time? Uh, men, we are hopeless. Only one thing at one time. We are just single track. Uh, but mothers are just wonderful. But today, I'm not preaching on Mother's Day sermon. I'll do that at second service. Uh, today, we want to focus on biblical mandate for mission, uh, as we are concentrating on mission. John Stott says that we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. Uh, John Stott, the late John Stott was a statesman in England. Uh, we must be a global Christian with a global vision because our God is a global God. Sometimes I feel that Christians, we only think church. We don't think kingdom. We don't think kingdom. Our views are just locked up in my church, my own church. Uh, but God's work is greater than just our church. And we need to uh, be reminded that our God is a global God. And as a church, we must ensure that the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing, according to the scripture, is we are here for a purpose as a church, as an individual. And we want to keep track of that. And today, I want to give to you four compelling reasons uh, why the church needs to be involved in mission. We need to know the why so that we have greater motivation to do what we need to do. And so according to Scripture, I want to give you four compelling reasons why the church, why Pathway, every year we set aside one month uh, to be involved in mission. Whether we go or whether we support or whether we pray, there are some reasons that we need to know why we as a church needs to be involved in mission. The first one is command from above. Command from above. We all know about the Great Commission. We all can recite that. But believe me, if I would ask you to recite, I can assure you, you probably only remember the first two points of the Great Commission, which is go and make disciples. Did you know there's a third part to it? Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What's the third one? Nope. And teaching them, which probably is the hardest part, harder part, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So go, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is a great commission. It is not the great option. It is a command, and it demands obedience. The great commission 
is not a great option. It is a command and it demands obedience. God is a Herbert Cain, a missiologist. Say, God is a missionary God. The Bible is a missionary book. The gospel is a missionary message. The church is a missionary institution. And when the church ceases to be missionary-minded, it has denied its faith and betrayed its trust. It has denied its faith and betrayed its trust. I served in the army for two years in Singapore. It's compulsory for every man to serve in the army. And I was in the artillery uh, unit. And they often say to us that if you don't have a new command, you obey the last command that was given to you. And the last command that was given to the church is to go and make disciples and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. There's no other new command. And when there's no new command, we stick to the last one that was commissioned and given by Jesus. It's a command. It's not, uh, we are God's, you know, there's, we studied Ephesians. A lot of people have the issues of God's election and human responsibility, God's sovereignty versus human responsibility. If God select and elect everything, then we don't have to do evangelism because salvation is His work. And, and we get into all this kind of debate. But for me, it's very simple. The scripture says both. The scripture says that we are all elected and chosen, but it says also implied that we have a will in choosing. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. There is a concept of God's sovereignty but there's also a point of God's uh, human responsibility. Where there is judgment, then you will have a choice. There's no point having a judgment when you have no choice. So how you intertwine that all together is we have to accept that sometimes our finite mind has limitations. And this is called, if you don't know this word, it's called antinomy. A-N-T-I-N-O-M-Y. Antinomy is both views are equally correct, even though it may seem paradoxically uh, not contradicting to each other. So there is a command that we need to do. While salvation is always God's work, God is Holy Spirit is the one that can convict where we talk about it in John 14 to 16 of the role of the Holy Spirit doing the work but yet at the same time we are commissioned to bring the gospel God may use you in the process of reaching the elect as well you don't know and therefore we have to handle that intention so the first reason why as a church we need to involve in mission and participate in mission is because there's a command from above there's a command by god and to me even with that one reason alone is sufficient because we all come under the lordship of christ and we want to submit to his authority but there are other reasons i want to give to you not just only command from above they are above cry from below cry from below. I'm not going to go into the detail of Luke 16 about the rich man and the Lazarus. Remember? The rich man crying out from below and back and say, Well, I have five brothers. Uh, let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And then Abraham replied, Well, they have Moses and prophets. Let them listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, he said, But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Well, 
He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. There's this cry from below. Here earth, there is this emptiness, this meaninglessness. And I believe strongly with all my heart that the gospel is the answer to humanity's problem. And that is why Christians right throughout ages, we have a solution to humanity's problem. And that is the gospel. Because the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And the heart needs to be redeemed first. And the heart is sinful and therefore you need a saviour to come and redeem you. So the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And the starting point is that you need a saviour. And we have this gospel. While we do social work and all that kind of stuff, but the heart of the problem is the humanity's heart. And the heart can be redeemed only through our saviour. And therefore, we have solution to humanity's problem in this world. And therefore, throughout, right throughout ages, Christian gospel has gone out into the world and, and preached the gospel. Human, there are many deepest longing in our heart. We are longing for love. Did you realize that at least 95% of the world's songs in any languages are all rooted in love? Why? Because we are longing for love. We're longing for perfect love that none of us are able to give other than God who is perfect in love. We're longing for love. We're longing for justice. We're longing for forgiveness. We're longing for truth. We're longing for purpose. And I believe that the gospel is the solution to humanity's problem. A psychiatrist, Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung said the central neurosis of our time is emptiness or nihilism emptiness the pantry is full but the hearts are empty so much to live on but so little to live for life magazine some years ago published an entire book on how individuals have coped with this quest for meaning in life they featured people from all walks of life from philosophers to drug addicts from painters to plumbers here is one from Jose Martinez, a taxi driver in New York who provides the sound bike of despair. This is what he said. He said, we are here to die. Just live and die. I live driving a taxi. I do some fishing. I take my girl out. I pay taxes. I do a little reading. And then I get ready to drop dead. Life is a big fake. You are rich or you are poor, you are here and you are gone, you are like the wind. After you are gone, other people will come. It's too late to make it better. Everyone is fed up, can't believe in nothing no more. People have no pride, people have no fear. People only care about one thing and that's money. We are going to destroy ourselves, nothing we can do about it. The only cure for the world's illness is nuclear war. Wipe everything out and start over again. We will become like a cornered animal, fighting or survival. Life is nothing, he said. Well, it reflects some of the people who, who are struggling with what are we actually living for. There's this little boy who committed suicide and he left beside this suicide note that say, lost in a world of darkness without a guiding light, seeking a friend to help my struggling, failing plight. Now all of you good people just go on passing by, leaving me with nothing but this lonely will to die. Somewhere in this lonely world of sorrow and of woe, there's a place for me to hide, but where I do not know. 
But no matter where I go, I never will escape the devil's reaching, clutching hands or the drink of fermented grave. So out of my grief and anguish, perhaps some wandering boy will see long after I have left this world and build his own life strong and good and free. There's this emptiness. Don't know what to live for. Even Bertrand Russell, the devout atheistic thinker, is often remembered as one of the greatest minds of the 20th century. In his autobiography, Russell reflected on his own death and pointedly referring to that moment as the night of nothingness. And he's, he wrote this, he said, There's darkness without, and when I die, there will be darkness within. There is no splendor, no vastness anywhere, only triviality for a moment, and then nothing. Did you know that Bertrand Russell was born into a Christian home and taught to believe in God, but he rejected his training and he became an outspoken atheist. And his daughter, Catherine, said of him this. This is what his daughter said of him. He said, somewhere at the bottom of his heart, in the depths of his soul, there was an empty space that once had been filled by God. And he never found anything else to put it in. To give life meaning, one must have a purpose larger than oneself. Isn't it what St. Augustine used to say? Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is forever restless until it finds its rest in thee. And so there's this cry from below, this sense of emptiness, this sense of meaninglessness that so many people are, are, seems to be going through. Uh, where Did you realize that we often pride Melbourne as the most livable city in the world? But yet there are so many people who are depressed. Most livable city in the world? So many people are so depressed. I remember when I was at Bible college, I was just sick of reading theological books in the library. In my first year, I borrowed a car from my friend. I drove all the way from Lidedale, at that time Bible College of Victoria. Oh, the only cinema that I know was at Forest Hill at that time, 20 over years ago. I drove there at about 9 o'clock and I went in by myself to watch a movie. And I watched a movie called A Time to Kill. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good movie, actually. Uh, Samuel Jackson. And believe it or not, when I sat there at the last row watching the movie, I realized there were so many people watching movies on their own. Okay, there's one there. Nine plus. This loneliness, this sense of alienation, there's no community, you know. And even uh, Solomon, who is so much in Ecclesiastes, uh, he reflected on him achieving so much. He said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desire. You can do that when you are rich, you're powerful. He said, I refuse my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. 
Yet when I survey all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. The chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. And you should read the conclusion in chapter 12 of his solution to it, and that is to come under the saving grace of God. And we have this gospel message. Why we should involve in mission? Because we must once again believe that this message that we have of God's unconditional, unfailing love, Savior of the world, is the message that can redeem the world's problems. Not about good teachers or good parenting skills. Those are just patching up the external. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart, and therefore it has to start with the gospel. Jesus, they are. Jesus is the surprises of perfection. He combines virtues never seen together, tenderness without weakness, strength without harshness, humility without the slightest lack of confidence. Holiness with unbending conviction without lack of approachability. Power without insensitivity. Passion without prejudice. The harshest judgment on the self right, satisfied. And yet the most winsome kindness to the brokenhearted and the mar marginal. Never inconsistent. Never a false step. And that is Jesus, our Savior. So it's not just only there is a command from above, there's a cry from below us. People are struggling. But there's a third reason why should we should be involved in mission, and that is constraint from within. There's a constraint for us as believers. There's this constraint that spells out in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that Christ's love compels us to do it. That the greatest motivation for mission work is not fear or reward or guilt, not that kind of motivation, but it's Christ's love that compels us to spread the gospel. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all die. And He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. Christ's love compels us to do what we need to do. Or the New Living Translation says, either way, Christ's love controls us. So our motivation is not through guilt or fear, or even, may I say, reward, even though there may be rewards. Of course there will be rewards. Not even then should be our motivation. It's just simply the Christ's love that when we receive this love, when we understood that we are sinners and saved by grace and grace alone, and that love that we experience from God compels us then to pass it on. And we must recover the heart of the gospel that so motivated Paul. The fear of God that moved him to persuade others was matched by Christ's own love as that which compelled Paul to consider others' needs for the gospel more important than his own comfort. Missiology David Bosch from South Africa said, Christianity, which does not begin with the, with the individual, does not begin. That means it's a personal faith. You cannot depend on your parents or, you know, or your grandparents. Christianity, which does not begin with the individual, does not begin. 
But Christianity, which ends with the individual, ends. While it is a personal faith, it is not a private faith. It should go on. Christianity, which does not begin with the individual, does not begin. But Christianity, which ends with the individual, it ends. Constrained from within, Christ's love compels us to do and spread the gospel. Watch Man Nee, a Chinese, uh, um, wrote a book, I can't remember what it is, uh, The Normal Christian Life, that's right. Watch Man Nee. Uh, he felt led by his belief in God to remain in China in spite of the threat of communism at that time. And he sacrificed everything to this end. He had a PhD, I think, in America. Uh, is it him or John Sung? I can't remember. Sorry. Don't take that as... Uh, uh, maybe it's John Sung. A watchman Nee was arrested by the Chinese communists in 1952 for his professed faith in Christ as well as his leadership among the local churches. He was judged, condemned, and he was sentenced in 1956 to prison for 15 years. And during his entire time, only his wife was allowed to visit him. And in his final letter, written on the day of his death, he alluded to his joy in the Lord. He said, in my sickness, I, re I still remain joyful at heart. He died in confinement in his prison cell on May 30th, 1972. And after Watchman Nee's death, when his niece came to collect his few possessions that he had, she was given a scrap of paper that a guard had found by his bed. What was written on that scrap of paper may serve as Watchman's Nee's testament. And this is what he said on the piece of paper that was found on his bed. He said, Christ is the Son of God who died for the redemption of sinners and was resurrected after three days. This is the greatest truth in the universe. And I die because of my belief in Christ. I die because of my belief in Christ. Christ's love compels us, moves us, controls us, to do what we have to do. And the last point I want to give to you why as a church we should be involved in mission is because conditions from without. Command from above, cry from below, constraint from within, and conditions from without. And we take this passage from Matthew chapter 9, uh, which uh, I think Bernie Power uh, mentioned that uh, last week. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed, they were helpless, they were like sheep, without the shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, 
but the workers are few. And therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Condition from without. The harvest is plentiful. Many of us don't believe that the harvest is plentiful. Many of us don't believe that people are fed up and they need the gospel. The harvest is plentiful. Condition from without. People are ready to receive. It just sows it into people's lives. Sows it into people's lives. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And our task is that we will pray that God will send out laborer into the field to harvest. As Don Kamara said to revolutionize the world, the only thing needed for us to live and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ with real conviction. But we lack motivation nowadays. And so at least once a year, one month a year, we set aside mission to remind our church that our task is to remember that we are to focus on mission. Whether or not we go, physically go and preach the gospel, or sometimes we can't, but at least we can pray. That's why we set aside last Sunday of this month, come and pray. Or even in our individual private time, every day pray for missionaries. And, or even we can give. We can't go, but we can support. We can support those who are in the field. Provide support to them so that they can continue to do the work that God has entrusted to them. Did you know that your rewards will be no different from them? In uh, Matthew chapter 10, interestingly, chapter 9 chapter 8 is a transition time because Jesus has been doing all, the work, all this time from Matthew 1 to chapter 9. And chapter 10 is where Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. And then in chapter 10, he begins to send out his disciples. It's the transition from him doing all the work into sending the disciples out to do the work. And as he sent the disciples out to do the work, he said this in chapter 10. He says this, of course, we know chapter 10 about sending out the 12 and all that. And then towards the end of chapter 10, he says this to the disciples, Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives the one who sent me. And then he said, Anyone who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man, because he is a righteous man, will receive a righteous man's reward. Same. Your reward is no different to those who are in the field if you support them. Whatever the person receives reward, your reward is the same. And then he said, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciples, I'll tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. So there are many parts to play in mission. Many parts. And we can play a part. We can play a part. I read this poem, say, why are we to complete the task? Say, not because it is our duty, though it is. Not because it will bring eternal life to many, though it will. Not because it will improve the living conditions of the poor, 
though it will, not because it will improve stability in the world's institution, though it will, not because it will improve environmental stewardship, though it will, not because we will be rewarded, though we will. He said we should disciple the nation because Jesus is worthy to receive their honor, glory, and praise. After this, I look, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to our God forever and ever. Amen. Not because of it, because it will bring glory to our God. Conditions from without that there is ready to receive this harvest field that has been sowing seed all along by so many generations all along that it is time to sow and reap of the harvest that God has given to us. There's a story about uh, in, a Christian Bible, in a Christian college where the preacher's students uh, took turns speaking in chapel every Thursday. There was one uh, first-year student, preacher student, who had avoided the dreaded task of preaching at chapel long enough that it came to the attention of the chapel master. And so the following conversation ensued. I'm scheduling you to preach at chapel next Thursday. Say, oh, please, please, I'll do anything. I'll write a paper, I'll do extra assignments, even I'll clean the toilet. Just please don't make me speak in public. Most Asians will tell you that. Many of my congregation people, they will never speak in public. They are not trained. Our school system doesn't train you that. They train you to sit still and be silent. <laughs> uh, you say, you are not going to get out of this. And, and there will be no excuses for you. So Thursday rolled around with desperately quaking knees. The young student stood up to preach. And he asked the people, Do you know what I'm going to say? Everyone shook their heads, No. Said, Neither do I. <laughs> Go in peace. And so the chapel master was really angry. That is not acceptable, he said. You are right back on schedule for next Thursday. And this time you will preach. And it will be an example of diligent preparation and there will be no excuses this time. By the way, they say excuses are lies. Actually, they're well-dressed lies, that's all. There's lies putting on a suit. 
and Thursday rolled around, and with yet more quaking, the young man stood up to preach and asked, Do you know what I'm going to preach? Everybody nodded their heads, say yes. Say, good, I don't have to preach now, go in peace. <laughs> and so the chapel master was absolutely outraged. He said, there will be no more this kind of nonsense this week. You will preach next Thursday. You will not fail or you will be removed from school immediately. And so Thursday came around and this young preacher barely able to stand. The student got up to preach and he asked the same question. Do you know what I'm going to say? Interestingly, some say yes, some say no. Some say yes, some say no. Say good. Those who know, tell those who don't know. <laughs> you know, when I think of this story, I thought, is not a bad summary of the Great Commission and our task of evangelism. Those who know ought to tell those who don't know. Or they say evangelism is a beggar telling another beggar where to find food. So we have four compelling reasons why uh, we as a church, Parkway Baptist, we should continue to be involved in mission. There's this command from above, there's this cry from below, there's this constraint from within that we experience God's love and we compel us and the condition from without, which according to Jesus, the harvest is plentiful. May we be diligent and may we support mission. May we come uh, two weeks time to pray may we support give to work the work of missions uh, 55,000 first week we collected about 6,005 we still have about 49,000 uh, usually it comes a bit later uh, uh, may we give may we play a part may we have the assurance that God will be glorified when we participate in mission Father we thank you for the great commission it is not a great option it is a command and it demands obedience. We are your chosen people and we should not and must not be your frozen people. Uh, we are chosen to continue to spread this gospel uh, through all kinds of means. Sometimes it's just through, through love, sometimes through service. Sometimes of, some of us are through confrontational, apologetic type of ways. We see all these kind of methods spelled out in the scripture. But we have within us that you have shaped us in certain way to be able to share your beautiful words of gospel to those around us. And for some, we are called to go beyond this nation to other parts of the world to do it. May you stir our hearts. May we play a part in global missions. Even though it's a drop in the ocean, but it is still a drop. We just want to be obedient. We're not too concerned about what happened after, but we should concern about being obedient to you. And you have commanded us to do and to live out the Great Commission. May we be faithful as a church to continue this pathway of supporting mission 
to be reminded again and again of our responsibility and our trust that you have entrusted to us. Thank you, Lord. You are a good God. Salvation is your work. It is you, your Holy Spirit, that works and moves people's heart. And we want to play a part by being obedient to you in carrying out the process, whether it's in preaching or in supporting or in praying. We play our part. And when we see you, you will be pleased with us. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.